approaching the holidays. Can you believe it? And while that can bring a lot of joy and cheer for some, the holidays can be a reminder of those who won't be there this year. Millions of people will be missing a loved one at their holiday table, with a staggering 565,000 Americans lost to COVID since its onset in March of 2020. Many may be encountering significant grief for the very first time. And beyond that, the American Psychological Association notes that those who did not experience the loss of a loved one could still be grieving a range of losses, from time with loved ones, to meaningful employment, to a sense of stability in the world. This is the Health Nexus Podcast. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Today we highlight how you can manage grief, especially during the holiday season. The Safe Harbor Program at Abington Jefferson Health is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. For two decades, the program has helped families navigate grief. There are support groups for children ages 4 through 18 and help for adults to work through their own grief while caring for a grieving child. The program was introduced when hospice workers recognized the sharp disconnect for the families of patients who died. Safe Harbor encourages families to continue being a part of the hospital community and connecting with others who can understand the particular pain of loss. Ashley Jefferson from the Health Nexus team spoke to Michelle Belser and Heidi Marcellus, co-coordinators of Safe Harbor, who have been with the program for more than 10 years. Together, they share advice for addressing grief during the holidays with the three C's, choice, communication, and compromise. They address why self-care is important for the caregiver and offer a wealth of suggestions for activities and books for kids around grief. Do you feel as though, especially in light of the pandemic, the last, it's crazy that it's been, it seems like almost two years now, but do you feel like it's become even more isolating for people, for children, for families, and those dealing with grief? I think it can be. I think a death from COVID, even though there's so much of it around, especially some of the families that we've spoken to where it's been a parent loss, there does seem to be a little sense of a stigma in a way. And so they're not feeling as comfortable being able to talk about that grief and what has happened. In that sense, for sure, it's important to have a place where they can speak openly and not feel any sort of stigma. That's somewhat familiar territory to us because we also deal with families who have had loss through the opioid crisis was the big thing before COVID came along. So there's a lot of grief out there. There's a lot of loss and it's just great that we can provide this service at this time. Yeah, and we're, we're so thrilled that we can do it in person again because another thing that was so isolating, of course, for everybody across the country was so much virtual happening. Some of these families with the COVID loss, you know, you can't go in the hospital to see your loved one, first of all, to say goodbye. And then you can't have your friends and family around you to help you grieve and do the typical mourning rituals we do. Some people didn't have funeral services. It's very isolating in that sense. And there were so many kids calling and saying, we want to talk to somebody in person. Nobody will see us in person. So it was difficult for a while that we were doing virtual support groups. Certainly we're thrilled that we did that for a year. It was entirely necessary and I think somewhat helpful. And now that we can be back in person, we're one of the few programs that is allowing kids to come back in person. And what a difference that makes. And isn't the number one thing we hear from the kids and the families saying like, oh, I'm not alone. That's like the number one feedback that we get all the time is I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. 
I'm not the only one who's going crazy right now. And then you have the holidays coming up as well. What advice or what recommendations or how have you, you guys through this program been able to help families navigate that even prior to the pandemic, but even more so amidst everything with COVID? Yeah. And every year we come up with different ritual activities and suggestions for the families to do together, for them to be open and honest with each other. In fact, one of the main goals of Safe Harbor is to open up that communication within the family so that within the family, they're not isolated either. You know, people don't want to necessarily cry in front of each other. They don't want to upset somebody else in the family. So they may not speak up about what they want to do for the holidays in fear of upsetting mom or something. And so we are trying to open up that communication. And then Heidi has some great advice specific for the holiday. As Michelle said, we approach this every year. This is not new for us. It it sadly may be new for more people out there in the community facing the holidays and on top of that having this burden of grief to deal with. But here at Safe Harbor, this is something that every year we make sure we plan discussions within each of the groups, whether it's the four to six-year-olds, the little guys, or whether it's the caregivers talking about, hey, this is coming. Be ready. Plan ahead because it can add to the stress that's already a big part of the holidays. Of course, kids are super excited, but then there's that realization of, oh, this holiday is going to be different. Somebody's not here. As Michelle was saying, it's important for the families to recognize that if they can speak to each other openly about, okay, these are the traditions that we're used to doing. These are the things that normally we do at Thanksgiving. These are the people who are normally around the table. This year's going to be different. Someone's going to be missing, or in some cases, there may be a few people missing. How do we want to handle that? And so in group with the kids, especially, we may do specific crafts that are centered around that. One of the favorites around here is something called a memory box where they decorate a special box. A lot of times they they decorate it based on like their loved one's favorite place, like the beach or the mountains or something like that. And we have discussion about that. They cut up strips of paper and as long as they've discussed it as a family beforehand so that people are prepared, they can hand out those slips of paper and people can write down their favorite memories of that person and go around the table. If people want to share those memories, they can. And it brings that person to the table, which is a really great thing. So even though it can be emotional, it's okay. And we do talk about that here. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay if there are some tears flowing at the table. It's important to remember that this was someone who was critical as part of this group, this family. And then there's often a lot of laughter, too. You know, people bring up funny stories. And so that can be such a release. Then afterwards, they can fold up those pieces of paper, put it into that memory box. And if anyone in the family is having a rough day, they know they can go to that box and pull out a memory and it brings them back a little bit. So that's just one example. I'd also run across a really helpful article that's talked about the three C's of surviving the holidays. The first one is choice. Recognizing that as a grieving person, you have choice about how you want to handle the holidays. Whether that's the discussion within the family of how do we want to handle Thanksgiving? How do we want to handle Hanukkah or Christmas or Kwanzaa or whatever it is that is the family's tradition within our nuclear family? Do we want to put up a tree 
this year? Or is that just too difficult? Do we want to stay in our pajamas all day and not get all dressed up? So you have choice and you should make those choices. I think something important about choice too is we have this thing we hand out to families and it's the 10 healing rights of grieving children. And it applies to the adults as well, which is everybody grieves differently. It's your choice how you want to grieve. And it's not your responsibility to make anybody else feel better around you because you're grieving. So let go of that responsibility of trying to take care of others. You have your own grief to take care of and your own choices. And it doesn't matter if other people don't understand your choices. It's your right to make that choice for you and your family. That's a tough thing for people it is. to do. It is, Very because we're used to being people yeah. pleasers. But yeah. there's a time to be a little bit selfish. Yeah. And we hand those rights out to every family that comes here. So they, they're aware of them. The second C is then communication. You can't just make those decisions and then shut out the world. People will not understand. And they might get their feelings hurt. Well, they may be so desperate to try to help you in their way that then they get hurt and feel sad as well. And then there's just negativity all around. So communication is really important. Once you make some of those decisions, communicate that outward. Let folks know, hey, you know what? Can we just say that we're a maybe to show up for the big family dinner this year and let you know the morning of, is that okay? Because this is what's going on. If you communicate that out, you're going to save a lot of trouble on the outside of your nuclear family. So make sure that there's communication. And of course, that applies within the nuclear family too. Communicate with each other. The final C is compromise. And that is every now and again, we do hear within group, well, my in-laws just don't understand that this is where we're coming from. They just don't seem to be able to get it. And they want it this way. and We want it another way. Try to find some middle ground. Because ultimately, if there's that kind of strife and there's no wiggle room and no room for compromise, it's just going to create more problems down the road. Compromise is a big piece of it. Grieving folks often feel fatigued. We're a little tired. It's been a long year for everyone. I think we can all understand that sense of fatigue. And so, yes, compromise does take some energy, but it's energy worth finding. Yeah. And, and I love what you yeah. said about, can I let you know last minute? Because you don't know how you're going to feel. And sometimes for these kids and these families, they're leading up to say, you know, Thanksgiving day, for example, leading up to that, they're dreading it. They're thinking this is going to be a really hard day. And the day comes and actually, it's not so bad. Actually, I can do this. And other times maybe they thought it would be okay. And actually this is really hitting me and I can't do this. You need to be able to also give your children permission to say to you, I, I can't do this right now. I changed my mind. That's mm -hmm. important. When you say like a lot of that anticipation is sometimes the worst part of it, mm -hmm. isn't it? For sure. And I was going to say, kind of speaking to children, I know that sometimes kids, especially the younger they are, they're not always the best at, you know, expressing how they yes. feel, how they feel, or they, they can't really process all the different emotions that may come. What advice or recommendations would you have specifically to parents, maybe even of younger children who are still learning and growing and trying to understand all these feelings that they have, and they may not be able to verbalize it or explain it, but they're still dealing with grief yeah. as well. I think with my bias, of course, being an expressive arts therapist, I just think music and art does wonders. So let's say you have a child that's not sure how to express how they're feeling. They're not sure how they're going to feel at Thanksgiving dinner. 
It's okay to give them a little distraction of some coloring and artwork on the side during dinner even, if that is a safe outlet for them. It's okay for you to sit down as a family before the holiday, talk about it, draw it out. See, art is sort of like a safe container for them to put their feelings into it. So it's like outside of themselves, whether it's let's choose some music to do some breathing to and help calm ourselves down, whether it's let's choose some artwork and we're going to draw our feelings out. It's so simple, but it, it makes a world of difference for these children before and after they do their activity, mm -hmm. the changes you see in them. And it's yeah. great that you brought that up for this mm -hmm. week, these two weeks, because we've been on a two-week cycle. The kids in group are dealing with feelings. We are talking about feelings. Yeah. There are some feelings that you love to show to the world, mm -hmm. and there are other feelings that you tend to want to keep to yourself. What does that look like? What color do you choose that suits that feeling. What textures, you know, some kids, it won't so much be the color they choose, but how they choose to put it on the paper. And you can tell they're like scribbling and pushing down really hard on it, or they're covering the whole page with a feeling. And other feelings, they might just put a dot. That tells a lot. So encouraging kids to, to put it down on paper is a really great thing. And as they're older, of course, there are journals. You can encourage them to journal. Yeah, I was just going to say there's all kinds of things online, actually, even like downloadable work pages and journals that you can purchase for your children that's specifically talking about emotions and feelings. Being able to name a feeling gives some control over it that they wouldn't have had before. So learning what those feeling words are, learning where do they feel them in their body. Like what does angry feel like? What does nervous and anxious feel like in your belly, for example? Sometimes when the child has this artwork to explain to them, to show to them, some of these families, that might be the first time they're crying together. That might be the first time this caregiver is starting to understand what their child is going through. So it, it also gives them a beautiful tool to share those thoughts that they're having to. It's, it's nice. Yeah, and then there are so many great books oh, so that aren't even yeah. brief, but never be afraid. We have a whole library here at Safe Harbor. We have a list of recommended books, which we're happy to pass along to anyone who On our website, them. too. If you go to our website, there's a bibliography there that yeah. parents can see. But My Many Colored Days is a classic yeah. because it's great for kids to hear that even grown-ups have the same struggles. Yes. If you wake up in the morning and you're feeling, you know, in a gray mood, how do you navigate your day? How do you get yourself to push on through in a healthy way to come out the other side? Whether you're a parent or not, just naturally adults tend to focus on the children and sometimes they struggle to take care of themselves and especially dealing with grief if the child is younger you want to protect them help them pour into them as much as you can and then you forget about yourself and you're grieving too so how can you speak to adults who perhaps tend to be more focused on everyone else except them in the grief process? Self-care is huge. Yeah. And it is why we, as Michelle said in the beginning, why we have a caregiver group. Mm -hmm. It is a, a space where they can finally let their guard down and be honest and be angry about the fact that this is where they find themselves. So many of them were not planning on being single parents and find themselves suddenly being single parents. We also have a good amount of folks who come here who are grandparents because the parent that died was a single parent and now the grandparents need to step in and do this whole thing all over again. Society is great at saying, oh, look at you, you're so brave, you're so strong. Wow, look at that, look at what you're doing. 
in the caregiver group, they were able to say, I didn't ask for this. I don't want your praise. I'm not feeling brave. I'm not feeling strong. I'm doing what I have to do. So self-care is a huge part of what we talk about. How can you find that hour in the day to just focus in on how are you doing? Make sure you are carving out that time to meet up with a friend if you can. Get outside help. We, yeah. we strongly encourage that. It's a rare thing that, that you can do self-care on your own. Mm -hmm. Asking for help is one of the hardest things. Like Maybe you've gone through your whole life so far being able to handle everything on your own. But this is a huge curveball. It's okay that you're not okay. It's okay that you need help. And one of the hardest things for these caregivers when they come in is learning how to ask for that help in their life so they can do that self-care. They don't have to do this alone. Yeah. yeah. There's also plenty of evidence out there um, <laughs> that shows that finding some sort of support is a key component for caregivers, grieving caregivers. Find a support group whether it's in person or online. I mean, one of the advantages of COVID, honestly, has been that so many places are doing things remotely mm -hmm. over Zoom. And I want to say also for the caregivers for self-care, it's okay if your children want to help you feel better and want to give you hugs and want to give you love. And it's okay for you to accept that from them. I mean, we don't want to parentify children, but you don't have to protect them to the point that they don't have that opportunity to love you and take care of you also and say, you need, you need my help and let's do something together. Or mom, I see that you're, you're crying and allow yourself to cry in front of your child. So good for yeah, in fact, that's really one of the, our main goals. Yeah, yeah. Our main goal is to create the family to be kind of its own support group, mm -hmm. to yeah. open up those lines in communication. I often say that, you know, time helps to heal, but that's not always the case. Not always the case. We have a, there's also, an, again, a really good book called One Wave at a Time. And the whole point of that book is that you may feel better for a little while, but mm -hmm. then boom, something else comes along that sets you back. Yeah. Whether it's an anniversary and a milestone, the holidays can often set folks mm -hmm. back. And that second year, that third year mm -hmm. now, when everyone out there in the world, society expects you to be quote unquote over it, mm -hmm. you never do get over it. You may and move forward. You may you go through that forward. whole first year on autopilot and just doing what you need to do. You're just frozen and then you thaw, you start to thaw in that second and then the final helpful tip can be, along with giving yourself that grace to feel what you're going to feel and to make the decisions that you need to make for yourself and for your nuclear family, we also get to the point of also saying, it makes you feel better if you can help someone else. That's an extra step. It's not a, you must do this kind of thing, but acknowledge that if there is an opportunity that arises where you can do even the smallest thing, even within your grief, to help someone else, there's an enormous amount of healing that comes from that. And of course, during the holiday season, there are those opportunities. You have to go grocery shopping, and then suddenly there's a thing where you can donate a certain amount or donate a turkey for somebody else. Yeah, you just don't have to start a big thing. foundation. You don't have to, have to be do huge. 5K or change the world. No, yeah. just something small for someone else to recognize that, yeah, I'm in this dark cloud of grief. But there are also other people still out in need. And even if I can just do the smallest thing to help someone else, and if you can show that and model that for your children as a life skill, it's actually a very powerful thing. And like Heidi said, when you're ready, because there is no timeline to grief. 
There is nothing that is the same in everybody's grief, the whole Kubler-Ross stages of grief. That actually she wrote about people who are dying. That actually she wrote about people before loss, but then it was adopted as like, oh, these are the stages you go through in grief. And even now in pop culture, people refer to that all the time. Whereas we know it's all over the place for people and nobody grieves the same timeline. Anything else either of you want to add? <laughs> I feel like we've said a lot. <laughs> yeah. See, all you have to do is get us on a roll and then you can't shut us up. Yeah. <laughs> nice to be able to end there with a laugh. Heidi and Michelle also gave information about how you can offer support to someone else who is grieving. Check out Ashley's full article on the Safe Harbor program on thehealthnexus.org. Coming up in the next episode of the Health Nexus podcast, an emergency medicine physician breaks down where we stand with the COVID virus and how to safely gather with family this holiday season. For more from Jefferson experts, like the best practices on mask wearing for children and how to cope with that pandemic burnout, visit thehealthnexus.org. Production support for today's episode provided by Dan Bernstein. I'm Gianna Demedio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>